thought I spilled my water there. All right. Let's um, open our Bibles to Genesis 48. Father God, as we come before you to hear your word preach and proclaim, Lord, I ask that you would open our hearts and minds to what you have for us and close our ears to any ear that I may speak, Lord. And as we continue our series in Genesis and close out in these last few chapters, Father, and as we switch now from the lives of the patriarchs into really the blessings that are coming upon the sons of Israel, Lord, I ask that you would help us as we unpack the meaning of these final passages. What do they mean? What are the significance of these passages? And really, how does this all impact our lives? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So these passages are enormous as we kind of close out. We've been looking all the way through um, Genesis, and uh, I, was, I was just looking at all these passages. Mike was very ambitious. He's been kind of sectioning out which chapters we were doing, and I was looking at this, and I was like, he has 48 and 49, which was all the blessings of the sons of Israel. And I looked all over this passage, so I was like, oh my goodness, Mike. So he's going to cover up, uh, he's going to cover part of the blessings, and I'm going to just do this chapter. And even this chapter was ginormous. Uh, it was really tough. And I I was thinking about it when I was looking over it, and I, uh, I was, I wrote the sermon, and then I was, uh, we were moving my mom in this weekend, and up in uh, Franklin into her home, and we um, were coming down, and I was thinking about blessings, right, because I was writing about blessings, and I thought about all the blessings in the, la- in the next chapter, and they're really cool, and Mike and I are probably going to have to divide those up for a while, but I was looking at the blessings here, and Jacob generally blessing, and I thought about this. When you sneeze, or when I sneeze, what do you say? That's you, or Gesundheit, right? Why do you say that? Why do you say it? Right, captures your spirit and brings it back. We're saving, we're blessing, but now we do it as a courtesy, right? Are we really blessing the person? It's just kind of a common courtesy. But we also will say, bless you when someone does something really good. Oh, bless you, thank you, bless you. Or if you're giving to someone on the street or somebody really needs them, oh, bless you, thank you. Now, if somebody really comes to you in the hospital or something really bad has happened to you, you also may say, God bless you. Why do we say that? Anybody? Something's really bad, and you reach out and you say, God bless you. What do you mean? You're kind of praying for them? Or you're saying and you're using that as an expression of intention. Something really bad has gone and I'm really kind of meaning it. Now, in the South, we also really love to bless people, right? We often say, bless his heart or bless her heart. Now, we all know when we say that, we mean what? We're praying for them and we really care for them, right? And if we really, really care for them, we say, bless their little heart. (laughs) Why do we say that? Maybe I'm always just pleased with how godly we are in the South when we're saying that. 
I always love it when someone not from the South is like, oh, wow, they really care about me. I had a northern doctor who was lecturing me recently, and uh, he was an eye doctor, ophthalmologist, telling me about all this kind of stuff, and he was just rude, as, and I just so badly wanted to say, because the nurse was right there, bless your little heart. Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, anyway, I didn't. It would have been bad. Anyway, where does all of this blessing come from? Where does the word blessing come from? What does blessing mean? We see it a lot of times in the church, and so we as Christians somewhat understand it. But where do we get it from? Well, we get it and we begin to understand it from the earliest passages in Genesis. And one of the earliest passages in Genesis where a blessing comes from, we'll get some in Abraham and the Lord will be blessing people, but one of the first passages where blessings come from adults to children happens here, right? In, in the most significant way is going to happen from Jacob blessing his children. Now, we already got Isaac blessing his children, and we saw something go very wrong. But here, we're going to see a blessing of the children in a powerful way where it doesn't go wrong. And that's what we're going to see in Genesis 48 and 49. Now, Genesis 48 and 49 are important chapters on two levels. As believers, we can read them and draw from them on a personal level. So if you're reading your Bible and you're doing your devotional and you're the kind of person who wants to read and say, all right, what can I get from this? And a lot of people, that's how we read our Bibles, right? What can I get from this today? What is the Lord speaking to me about this today? You can get a lot of stuff that's personal to you from these chapters. However, we don't want to read every single chapter that way because sometimes, some chapters, there's a lot of chapters that you can draw from and the Bible is telling you what to get from today. But there are some chapters, a significant amount of chapters in Scripture, where it's not telling you what can you get from this today. It's teaching you something more significant, broader, like more significant about redemptive history, meaning the history of redemption and looking long-term in redemptive history. That doesn't mean it's not significant for you today. It just means it's broader. So this chapter has stuff to teach us today, but it also has a lot to teach us about broader significance. And that's what these two chapters are teaching us. So sometimes when you look at them, a lot of people will tend to blow by them because they'll look at them and say, well, it's not really that important. I don't really get something, especially from the next chapter. Why is it very significant? So they find it boring. But it actually is significant when you can begin to unpack them. So while we've been focusing on the lives of the patriarchs up at these points, these two chapters really aren't about the lives of the patriarchs. At least the first part of this is a little bit, but afterwards it will not. So I'm going to dig into them as far as I can and let Mike dig into them a little bit next week. So primarily, these passages are about the blessings of the tribes of Israel. Now, they're going to bless the tribes of Israel through their forebears, through these men, right? Through Levi, through, um, through Judah, through Simeon, and then the blessings are going to extend. But all of these blessings are going to contain prophet, uh, prophecies. Now, these blessings are prophetic because Jacob is a prophet himself. Now, some of his sons weren't mentioned, right? I mean, we, we learned about who the sons were. We saw Simeon. We saw Levi. We saw Judah 
we saw Benjamin a little bit, but not really. Benjamin's just kind of a, a, a minor player. We see his name. We see Joseph a whole lot, but Reuben is mentioned slightly, but we really don't see the other brothers. They're not, like, what was Issachar like, right? I mean, Zebulun, anyone know, right? Nobody knows about these guys. So are they not important then? I mean, the tendency is to say they aren't important. They're like Thaddeus in the disciples, right? How many know Thaddeus was a disciple? Exactly, right? What did he do? What was his eye color? How did he share? Where did he go? We don't know about that stuff. And so our tendency is to think, well, they weren't important, right? How many of you think you as a Christian aren't important because you're not doing something very significant? When you think back across Christian history, who is important to you, right? Who do we think of as important in Christian history? Can you name some names that are critically important? Jesus is very important. That's right. That's a good name. Who else? What are some other important names in Christian history? Can you think of other Christians? Huh? Abraham. A- Abraham. All right. Come forward. Yeah, Abraham. What? Moses. What else? Martin Luther. All right. What else? Who else? Huh? Augustine. Athanasius. What? Basil, okay. David, Esther, who else? Ruth? John the Baptist? Mary? Now move forward. Can you think of non-scriptural people? C.S. Lewis. Wow, where did we just hear that one? Huh? Martin Luther King Jr.? Constantine, what did you say? Bonhoeffer? Billy Graham, Tolkien. Why do we know all of these names? Right? They're authors. They did important things, right? We can think of all of these things. We can think of all these people. There's all sorts of other people who you didn't mention, but they were also important in their day. All sorts of popes, all sorts of different folks that did things. And we tend to think of them as important. But here's the thing. John Calvin was super important in history. What was his dad's name? How much did his mom influence his life? Billy Graham, who was his Sunday school teacher? Hmm? Got it? Mordecai? Who was Billy Graham's Sunday school teacher in third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade? Who trained Martin Luther? Right? Who taught Anselm? Who was the person who shared the faith, then shared the faith, then shared the faith, then shared the faith with the person who finally shared the faith with Augustine? Who was the person who shared the faith and shared the faith and shared the faith with the person who finally shares the faith with Billy Graham? In other words, it's passed down and passed down. We tend to think of the people who step on the stage who have the name as important. We often don't think of the people who are not mentioned who are important. And there's all kinds of people, including disciples of Jesus himself, 
who we find out later in history, went into regions of the world and converted all kinds of people and gave their lives for Jesus in horrible ways that weren't mentioned in Scripture and yet were the actual members of the actual 12. And some of these men are going to become the heads of tribes, and yet they're not mentioned in Scripture too. The question is, are they not important in the kingdom of God? And when we come into the kingdom of God and we are seated in order of importance at the table of God, there'll be Jesus and there'll be who's sitting next to him. We all think it'll be Augustine and Billy Graham and everyone else. But could there be Janice, Larry, and whoever else from whatever tribe or whatever group or whatever people group that we have never heard of, and they'll be sitting there? Could it be that there's all these other people that are significant? See, these people will all be blessed, and major people are going to come from all of them. J.I. Packer and John Stott had Sunday school teachers and parents and people who poured into them. All had a part to play. Who made these people's ministries run? All the folks and all the people who poured into them were significant. And this, by the way, is what the story of Ruth is all about. Everybody knows Ruth. That person was insignificant in the eyes of the world, and that love story is completely insignificant in the eyes of the world, and yet God puts it in Scripture. And I think in a large part to teach us about how the insignificant is actually significant. It is actually important. So here at the end of Genesis, we see the story of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob all come together with the blessings of the 12 sons. And for us as believers, one of the lessons it teaches us today is at the end of our lives, we extend blessings upon our children. Genesis 48, 1 and 2. After this, Joseph was told, behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it was told to Jacob, your son Joseph has come to you. And then Israel summoned his strength and he sat up in bed. So Joseph is the number two in all of Egypt, the number two most powerful man in all the world. And his pop is now sick. He's 147, and that day has come. Now, I don't know if you have lost your parents yet, but there will be a day when that day comes. And if you've had a good relationship with your parents, you can imagine everything else seems important to you, but the day comes, mom is dying, dad is dying. And you may have thought that everything else in your life was important. I was going to work that day. I was doing this that day. I had to do this that day. And what in the world? It, everything clears. And you realize none of that matters. It's coming to an end. Pop is dying. Mom is dying. And so Joseph the second most important man in the world, rushes to Goshen, far away, and he grabs up his two boys, his oldest sons, and he runs to meet his father. And that's where the scene picks up. 
He took with him his sons, and Joseph has come to you. Then Israel, at 147, ancient of days, summons up his strength, and he gets out of bed. This is critical to Israel, who is dying, so critical that he gets out of bed. He summons up what strength he has left. Now, if you don't have good parents, you may struggle with this, or maybe I won't struggle with my parents dying, or maybe my heart won't sink, but I, I can tell you, you heart, your heart still will sink, and you'll still struggle with this moment, only you'll wish for things that never were. You'll pine for what never was and what never could be. You might struggle with guilt. And so maybe you can't relate quite to this. Maybe you only have one parent that you were tight with. But Joseph is tight with his parents. And this is what he's struggling with. It still stinks no matter what when your parents are dying, and so you can relate on some level. Jacob and Joseph love one another. And he says, Dad, here are my children, Manasseh and Ephraim. So Jacob hears this. And he says, who are they? Now we ask, why does he say, who are they? It's unclear here, except that we know that Jacob is old and he is blind. So can he not see them and hear them as he lost his memory? Well, he knows who his son is. Or are these boys too young and he hasn't gotten to know them? Have they been there the whole time and he has known them, but he's just forgotten a little bit about them? Or are they a little bit older and they've grown so he doesn't recognize their voices? We're not sure and I'm not sure. However, He's 147, and not being 147, and no one here has been 147, I can't answer these questions for you. But these two boys do come to him, and we have this explanation where he comes between his legs, where he embraces them, and then he sits them on his knees. These are symbols of him welcoming him into his family, and Joseph now says, I mean, Jacob says, these two now will be as my sons. The rest of your children will be yours and will inherit as you, as an Egyptian, everything you will give to them. But these two will be my boys and will be part of my family and will inherit um, as my sons. These will be two as my sons. Excuse me. These two will be as my sons. So this is important. This meeting is critical. He knows that his time is short. So grandmas, grandpas, moms, and dads, you really need to pay attention to what happens here. Why? Because what happens here matters. Jacob, like Isaac before him, and really like we see several times in Genesis, he blesses his children before he dies. Now, this is an Old Testament practice. It's a practice we've kind of lost in our day, right? But I think it's a practice that should continue. We say goodbyes to our elderly, but a lot of times we don't let them say goodbye to us. Though, honestly, when I'm around the dying, and I'm around the dying a lot in hospitals and whatever, I see this not play out very often. All too often, I see people playing make-believe. What I mean by make-believe 
is all too often I see people standing around in hospital rooms, and I'll come in, and clearly the person is dying, and clearly they're not going to make it, and clearly everyone will ask me to come in and just pray for their healing and that they will live. Instead of asking me to pray and get them ready for death and have the family reconcile and work through all the things they need to do because we in our country have to make believe that death does not happen. But you are going to die. I hate to bring that up. But you're going to die. The only question is how you're going to die and how you're going to leave this world. Jacob shows us how we should leave this world. And what he does before he goes is he makes sure that he reconciles with his children and he blesses them. He loves them and he blesses them. Right? He wants to leave them in a good place. Joseph brings in his two sons to Jacob, and we have this interesting statement from Jacob, Genesis 48, 3 to 7. Jacob says to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And he said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a company of peoples, and I will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, as Reuben and Simeon are, and the children that you fathered after them shall be yours, and they shall be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. As for me, when I came from Paddan to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was still some difference, some distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. So what's interesting is the statement that these two are mine. And they will be as his other sons. And this will have eternal significance in the fact that these two sons, they are going to become tribes of Israel. We're going to call them half-tribes. Now, here's the thing. When I was younger and growing up, I used to think that half-tribes meant that they were what? Half as big, right? I mean, obviously, if they're half-tribes, these tribes are not as big as the other tribes of Israel. That makes sense, does it not? But that's not what it means, right? Half-tribes means that they are both the sons of Joseph. So I used to think, wow, God really didn't like Joseph. Joseph gets to go to Egypt, he was a slave, and then he kind of gets hosed because he doesn't get any tribes that gets passed to his sons. But that's what you think when you haven't been a parent, right? If you've been a parent and someone comes to you and says, look, all these brothers are going to have tribes named after them, but you are going to have tribes named after both of your sons. Have you been cursed or have you been doubly blessed? You've been doubly blessed because we want our children to do better. But here, what's happening? He's blessed both the sons. Joseph is getting doubly blessed. Why? I don't know fully, except we can say what? He's gone to Egypt. He's saved his people. Jacob also says his heart was with Rachel, and we know his heart is broken. 
even though that had to be at least 50 years ago and maybe a lot long, probably a lot longer than that, a long time ago. And he prays over him. And he says, these two sons will be the tribes. And so Joseph now is doubly blessed. And these two half-tribes are going to be Joseph's blessing. Now, when Jacob doesn't recognize the grandsons, like I said, we're not sure why, but he brings them and he blesses them on the knee and then he puts his hands upon each one. Now, normally, because it says specifically, Joseph brings the son so that the oldest can be blessed with the right hand and the youngest can be blessed with the left hand. The right hand is the place of honor and the left hand is the lesser place. Now, who is the best child in the family, right? Everybody knows. Who is the oldest child in the family? Do we have oldest children here? Who is the not the oldest child in the family? Who's the middle child? Who's the youngest child in the family? Okay, now as we go through the family rank, who is the best child in the family? Can we say the oldest? Most of the oldest, no, right, show of hands, oldest is the most important. The youngest, or the middle is the next important, wouldn't we say? And then is the youngest ever the most important? Would the youngest say that? Who, the youngest? Do you say the most important, right? So right here, we have Jacob saying that the youngest will be blessed as the oldest, and the oldest will be blessed as the youngest. This was a shock in his day, right? And Joseph gets upset about this. And we have this kind of interesting thing. This whole episode drips with irony and humor. Think about this for a second. Joseph, who was a spoiled brat, who got everything as a boy, is angry that his youngest son is blessed ahead of his oldest son. But of course, Jacob, he kind of knows something about the youngest getting blessed ahead of the oldest. So the baby of the family, who was the stealer of blessings, remember he stole from Esau, is blessing the, old, the youngest ahead of the oldest. And the baby of the family who was the spoiled brat and got everything, is mad because this is happening. Now, Joseph may be mad for a good reason. Why? Because he's seen this movie play out twice in his family. So you got to be thinking that Joseph, who's grown older and wiser at this point, he's about 50, says this, um, Pop, I, um, you know, you're old, I love you, but let's not make this story play out three times, shall we? It doesn't end well. You and Esau, my brothers tried to kill me, put me in slavery. Let's not do this again. I know you're old and blind, but please don't do this. <clears throat> Israel says that God has shown him this. Jacob is a prophet, and he prophesies. But listen to the blessing that he gives. Genesis 48, 14 to 16. And Israel stretched out his right hand, laid it on Ephraim, the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh, crossing his hands. Joseph is worried about the order of the blessing, but he doesn't pay attention to the actual blessing. Listen to the blessing that is given to both sons. The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked 
the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys, and in them let my name be carried on. In the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Now, if you've been with us through this Genesis series, you know the power of that blessing. And you know that this does not matter. You see, Ron, Mike, and I haven't been able to mine the depths of Genesis for all it's worth because we've been trying to cover a broad swath. And sometimes it's good to really dig deep into each chapter, but sometimes it's really good to go across quickly and you see really what's been going on. There's so much we've left unsaid. But because we've gone so quickly across, you've begun to see, I hope, how much the Lord has acted across a broad swath of time. And now, at the end of this, we begin to understand the power and the impact of this blessing. If you remember that at the beginning and the end of each episode of Jacob's life, this God was there prophesying and closing out each time that this angel wrestled with Jacob and touched his thigh, that at each step, God was there blessing him and blessing Joseph and taking Joseph up and saving his family. And now Jacob says, may this God bless these children and take these two forward. Wow! What a blessing he is giving to these children. It can't get much stronger than this. He also gives us an example for our dying days. You see, not only will the Lord bring tremendous blessings through these two men, and we're going to see that later, but it's worth, and we're going to close with this, thinking about how you are going to die when you look at this passage. We don't get to choose how or when we're going to die, whether it's going to be an easy or a hard death or even an awful death, but we do get to choose what we leave the generations after that come after us. We can choose to leave them in anger and bitterness, with regret and carrying the burden and curses and hard words, what we call maledictions, hard words, things that we tell our kids that they carry with them. You'll never amount to anything. You're useless. You're worthless. You need to do X, Y, or Z. That we've spoken over them. Or we can choose to leave them in peace and reconciliation, and in the love of Christ. We can choose to leave them, having taught them all the things that matter. We can choose to leave them, having prayed over them, and leaving them with our blessing. Jacob chooses the latter. What will you choose? Amen.